Welcome to the Conversions Podcast, where we discuss conversion rate optimization and the latest tips, technologies, and actionable strategies that you can actually use to get more of your website's visitors to take action. And now, your host, Francis Teo. Today, we have with us Michael Agard. Michael is a conversions testing junkie, copywriting fanatic, and content marketing evangelist. He blogs at contentverve.com and is also the host of the Contentverve podcast. He is well known in the conversion optimization community, having spoken at the 2012 Marketing Sherpa Optimization Summit in Denver and the 2013 Marketing Sherpa Email Summit in Las Vegas. Michael has also guest posted on well-known conversion blogs such as the Kissmetrics, Copyblogger and the Marketing Experiments blog. Welcome to the podcast, Michael. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. So could you tell us a bit more about how you got into the conversion optimization space? Yes, sure. Um, well, uh, many years ago, while I was still uh, studying at uh, Copenhagen Business School, I got offered a job at an uh, online uh, agency. I was, I was a translator back then. I had a little translation company going uh, while I was studying. And uh, yeah, so I got a freelance job at a... Uh, online optimization agency, mostly working with SEO, and uh, I got—I I didn't really have any prior experience with uh, with uh, with anything online, really, and uh, I was completely blown away away by it because uh, all of a sudden I could uh, I could see how words have a have a direct and measurable uh, measurable effect. Uh, it was it was mostly SEO I was working with back then, but it was very interesting to me because all of a sudden I could see that it was more than just communicating. It was also actually optimizing, uh, you know, your your business and and optimizing how customers find you. And so I got more and more into the copywriting bit, and then I started finding out that you know there's got to be a way to write online copy in such a way that it makes more people do what you want to do. And uh, from there, I kind of got more and more interested in in sales and marketing in general. And I read all these books and. They got really got me really fired up, but once I started using all the techniques that these different so-called gurus were teaching me, I found out that they didn't really work, you know. And uh, so that kind of led me into the whole split testing thing because then I thought, well, if this doesn't automatically work, what all the gurus are saying, then I need to find out what really does work. And that's when I really got this huge aha experience because I found out how easy it is to test things online and actually find out whether all your hypotheses and assumptions actually work in the real world. And from there, it just kind of escalated. And then, I mean, I, I quit the agency job and I, I became self-employed. And, and I've been self-employed for the last four years. And it's just been a lot of testing and hands-on optimization work since then. So that was kind of the, the, the semi-long version of the story. Great. So you've been doing this for about four years? Well, I've been doing it for longer. I've been doing it for... A bit longer because I had my I was at the agency for a couple of years also, so I think it's about yeah, I guess six six years in all with my freelance period. But I've been doing it solo for yeah, well, almost four years now. Well, four years is quite an eternity in the conversion optimization space. I think this is quite a quite a new thing to do. I guess it's definitely definitely, and I mean we're we're all learning. And we're all getting better, and, and you know I think the more you you, you test and actually have uh, scientific research and and evidence based uh, conversion optimization, well then we're all kind of uh, you know helping each other out and 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 uh, helping everybody who has a website, <laughs> helping them out with finding out what what really works in online marketing. And I think that's one of the one of the main things why I really like uh, working with the online medium. And that is that. You can actually test and measure pretty much everything, which is very difficult in, in, the, in the offline world. And I think that in the offline world, still, I mean, there's a lot of assumptions about what works and what doesn't work, but it's very hard to actually find out specifically if it does or does not. And that's the beautiful thing about the uh, working online is that you can, you can pretty much test everything and actually find out whether what you're doing actually works. Because the word optimization gets used very liberally. We optimize this, we optimize that, we got this guy, yeah, he optimized our website. But very few people actually take the time and effort to find out whether it was an optimization. And the only way to know whether you're actually optimizing your conversion rate, not hurting it, is by getting data, is by testing it and finding out whether it really works. By testing, you mean split testing? Yes, split testing. 
Okay, I'd just like to follow uh, well your train of thought on the whole having an online presence, then you can do some split testing and stuff like that. Um, what I found, this is my personal experience, is today in, in 2013, we have uh, people with multiple devices, you know, person might have a phone, might have a smartphone, might have a tablet, might have a laptop, might have a desktop at home. And it's becoming increasingly problematic to be able to track conversions all the way through all these devices. So do you have any thoughts on that? Uh, well, I mean, you can, I mean, when you set up a test, I mean, you can, you can segment on channels, for example. So you only run a particular test on, on, on for example, mobile devices or on, on iPads or uh, you only run it on uh, people that actually come in through a PC. So that would be one way of doing it. But another thing I think, just to take it one step back, is that conversion optimization, a, a conversion can, can be many different things. We have a tendency to see a conversion as a sale, as a hard conversion. But, you know, a conversion is pretty much every time you get someone to do something you want them to do online. So a conversion could be to get someone to sign up for a newsletter. It could be to get someone just to click uh, on a button or go to a particular page or download a PDF. So conversion optimization can be many different things. And there could be a lot of like micro conversions and you can have a, a, a macro conversion. Tr tracking the macro conversion all the way through can be difficult. Uh, but in many cases, you might want to start out with something else. I mean, just... Uh, for most companies, the newsletter represents a huge value. So the more you can get to sign up in your newsletter, the better. Um, so th there's a lot of different um, areas you can, uh, you, can, you, can, you can attack with a conversion rate uh, uh, optimization uh, mindset. So do you have an overall strategy or process you use for increasing conversions on websites? Uh, I, I do, but I think there's there's two things that are important kind of to talk about uh, generally in relation to a conversion rate optimization and and, and 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 CRO strategies. I think, well, first of all, I think the the main thing I've learned is that, that you know all businesses and products and websites uh, and landing pages uh, are, are different, and you know the motivation of motivations of the potential customers are also going to be different. So, so, you know, there really is no one-size-fits-all solution that works every time. And you really need to focus on the, kind of the individual website or the individual uh, project and find the best solution for that particular case. Uh, as humans, we have a tendency, you know, we like the cookie-cutter approach. We like to, you know, the idea of learning to play guitar in three days. And uh, we like rules, you know, your... your, your uh, your, your copy should never be more than 200 characters, for example, or uh, you should always have a green button. But it's, in my experience, it's very difficult to try to uh, you know, develop rules like that because just because a green button worked on one website doesn't mean it's going to work on another one. I mean, if your entire uh, website is green, a green button will probably not do, do very well. A red button will probably do well. So you really need to, to understand that all cases are different and that you have to attack it as an individual case. Uh, and then the next thing, again, touching upon what I talked about before, is that you, you, you really need to find out if what you're doing actually works. Because one thing I've learned from having performed several hundred tests is that sometimes you'll really be surprised. I mean, even I've, I've had tons of tests where all my experience, all logic had told me that my new treatment is going to kick ass, but actually it converts, uh, you know, worse. It actually hurts conversions compared to the control version. And that, I mean, in just some cases, it's like, wow, I really didn't expect that. And then you kind of have to go back to the drawing board. So uh, just assuming that you know what's right every time is dangerous and also you know, pretty arrogant if you ask me. And the only way to know that you're actually optimizing is to, to test. And that's the only way to, to work or, uh, go, get away from, from guesswork and, and gut instinct. Third thing I think is very important is actually to have a clear idea of what you're doing. You know, actually having a strategy. So you need to identify a problem and then you need to find out how to solve that problem. I think a lot of people just getting into split session, they get excited and they go, okay, okay, cool. So let's try to, let's change the logo or let's, let's put up a yellow button instead of a green button or, you know, let's, whatever, let's change the, <laughs> let's change the uh, global navigation. And then they set up a test with two different variants, but they don't really know why, you know, there, there's no kind of clear uh, strategy. There's no really no idea of why they're testing and what they want to achieve. And, and those kind of tests usually 
are not going to be very valuable because I mean even though even if you ramble by by coincidence into something that gives you a lift, you really have no uh, clear idea of, of why you got the lift or uh, what really made it happen. So you need to be very clear about what 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 you what you want to achieve and how to achieve it. And having said that, <laughs> that kind of leads me into the strategy I use. So conversion rate optimization is you know is really about optimizing decision-making processes. You want to optimize the decisions and the actions of your potential customers. You want more of them to do whatever it is you want them to do. So it's important to focus on the goal because the page or the copy or whatever you're trying to optimize, that's that's not the end, that's a means to an end. It's the means to optimizing the decision-making process. So I like to start out by identifying a problem that needs to be solved. And a problem that needs to be solved could be getting more newsletter signups, it could be getting more leads, it could be to sell more products, reduce the bounce rate of the homepage. There could be a lot of different problems. But once you identify a problem, for example, let's take a land, well, let's, let's take a newsletter signup, for example. Uh, on the website, we have uh, a newsletter signup. It's important for us to get as many signups as possible because we do a lot of selling directly through the newsletter. Right now, we have a problem, and that is that we only have uh, 0.03% signing up for the newsletter, okay? So that's a clear problem. You've identified that. Then you need to you know, come up with a hypothesis for what's causing the problem. Why are, uh, aren't there more people signing up to a newsletter? And I generally work with three areas, which are clarity, relevance, and friction. So clarity and relevance are positive. We need to increase the clarity and relevance, and then we... Uh, needs to reduce friction because friction has a negative effect. So uh, you could work with saying, for example, well, we have an issue with, we have a, my hypothesis is that we have an issue with clarity because it's the copy on the form, the newsletter sign up form is very generic. It just says sign up. So it doesn't really talk about what you get. So the hypothesis could be that by adding clarity, we can get more people to sign up. And then you have to come up with a clear hypothesis for how to solve the problem. So that would be, for example, what is the main benefit of signing up for the, for the newsletter? Well, the main benefit is that you can get 20% discount, for example. Well, then that might be a way to clarify the value of signing up for the, for the um, newsletter. So once you have those two hypotheses, you put those together for a main test hypothesis. So that could, for example, be uh, the lack of value and relevance conveyed by the form copy is causing friction that keeps potential customers from signing up. By adding a value proposition and relevant button copy, we can reduce friction and increase conversion. Okay, so then you have a totally clear hypothesis, and this is what the whole test is revolving about. The next step is to come up with a treatment based on what you hypothesized, and then it's time to set up the test and find out whether uh, your whole kind of hypothesis uh, was working. Then afterwards, you want to um, record all your data regardless of whether it was, a <laughs> it was a successful test or not, whether, whether it had a positive effect or not. And you need to, of course, validate your data. You need to be sure that you can actually trust the data you have so you don't stop the test before you have a valid uh, test result. And that's a problem for uh, a lot of uh, testers out there. This is, that's quite a large area in itself, so I'll, I'll, I'll provide you with some links for that afterwards so people can check it out. So that, that's, I mean... I'm doing a lot of talking, but that's actually the strategy, I think. And then afterwards, one thing that I think is very important is uh, to make sure that you have, you, know, you have screen dumps of the different versions, the different treatments you've tested of the control version. You need to have your, your test hypothesis written down, and then you have to you know, provide some answers, and answers afterwards. What did we learn? Did, did the hypothesis hold water, or did it not? And then you can, you can say, well, if it didn't, and the treatment performed worse than the control, well, then you can develop a new hypothesis for why that happened, and then you can set up a follow-up experiment. And as long as, as, as you record all your data, and as long as you have a clear idea about where you're going and how you're going there and what happened along the way, well, then every test you're going to perform is, in fact, going to be a successful test. Because even if it didn't give you a lift, it gave you an important learning and that's, that's the most important thing, because uh, a lot of people have a tendency to say that uh, if the test gave a negative result, then it wasn't a successful test. But as long as you learn from it, as long as you know why 
then that's, that's a value in itself because then you say, okay, well, that solution didn't work. We can cross it off the list and then we can continue with uh, something constructive that will actually work. I think the most important thing is to actually have a strategy. And the strategy is to identify a problem, create a hypothesis about what is causing the problem, create a hypothesis about how to solve the problem. Uh, based on those hypotheses, come up with a treatment, test the treatment, and then look at the data afterwards. The point you made about everything, uh, every single test and every single website, every single market, every single client, everyone is different and their customers are different. And I got into conversion optimization by testing the buttons as well. It's like, you know, I test the buttons, it's orange, it's big, you know, increase the CTR, it's good. But like, as I got into it, I realized that, well, every single website, every single product is different. And there's no, there's really no cookie cutter approach. I wish there was, but there isn't. Yeah, it's what makes it exciting as well, I guess. And I mean, the point you brought out, like you focus on clarity, relevance, and friction. That's really interesting because when I do optimization, and turns out that a lot of my clients, they have like commoditized products. So the thing I tend to focus more on is like credibility. You know, this is, how do I market this product and show you that this is a credible product and that has really helped my clients so it's really interesting that you take a different but a different approach but it's, it's still part of the same overall strategy well i'd, I'd say that that lack of credibility would would be a, a, a cause for friction so i probably I, in, in in my approach anyway i'd probably just i'd have that as as, as, as a point under friction. For example, I would say, so if, if I look at friction on this particular landing page for this particular product, well, there's a serious lack of credibility and that is causing friction. Because, I mean, friction can, can kind of, uh, can be, be identified as, uh, I guess you could say, as something that, that um, slows down the decision-making process that makes it harder for the potential customer to make the right decision. And the right decision is saying yes to whatever it is you're offering them. So it's something that exists in, in the mind, it's psychological, but it happens due to something in the marketing process. So something that would slow down the decision-making process would be a lack of credibility, for example. And then the hypothesis would be that, well, due to the lack of credibility, there's a certain amount of friction uh, going on on the page which, which uh, keeps people from uh, signing up or buying the product and then you know the hypothesis from there would be by uh, you know adding uh, testimonials and trust seals we can and, and case uh, studies we can increase the credibility of the company and thereby uh, reduce friction and get more uh, people to, to sign up or buy the product for example. So when I run tests for clients, I always feel that they, they don't know that there are certain validity threats. For example, some products, and they will insist that like, oh no, my product is not seasonal. But I run the test on a public holiday or over Christmas or over the new year and there's just crazy, crazy conversion spikes that totally disappear right after the holidays end. After like a couple of times I experienced this and I became really very careful about this and I always advise the client, you know, there's a, there's a possible threat here. We must be careful about when we run the test and as well as like if you have any like PR coverage, this needs to be communicated to me because that might affect the, the amount and the quality of the traffic that's coming to the site and all that. And I've become like quite paranoid about that. But I found that a lot of people when they run the test, they don't care. Well, I mean, it, it, I think it really depends on, on what you're testing. Um, and I, it, it sounds like you're, you're, you're running tests on, on products that, that, you know, where, the, for example, the level of motivation of, of, of the potential customers will kind of go up and down a lot, vary a lot, or where the products kind of have a seasonal quality to them. So I, I think it depends on what, what, on what you're testing. But of course, it's very important to be aware of. But I think, I mean, one of the, one of the, the main things about A-B testing, the main advantages is that you can cut out a lot of uh, bias. I mean, if, if, you were, if you were comparing periods, then you would have a lot of validity threats. And you can kind of, you can kind of reduce those a lot because you're running, it's the same quality, or, yeah, it's the same period of time, and it's going to be the same quality of traffic on both variants. So that, that helps you a lot. But I have, I have run tests, for example, where 
I was helping out this one uh, American online marketing guy, and he has a he's a popular speaker, and he has a, a for example he has an ebook that he wants people to to download because then you know they become part of his uh, newsletter and his loyalty program. So I was helping him. I I, I did a few changes on the on the sign up form for the uh, for the free ebook, and so what happened was that. You know, I started the test. He has a fair amount of traffic, so it was going pretty fast. And every time I almost had a conclusion, the difference kind of disappeared between the two uh, between the two variants. It, it flattened out completely for a day or two, and then it started developing again. And I saw that a couple of times where you get the diamond shape, and that was so weird because every time I was almost ready with a conclusion, then you know, the test tanked. And uh, so I called him up and said, this is weird, I haven't seen this before. And then we were looking at the dates and it turned out that those were the exact dates that he had been out speaking at an event. And at the event, people love him and you know, he's a very public speaker and he pitches the book. So that means that the motivation level of the entire audience, maybe he was speaking to 800 people and you get you know, <laughs> a storm of visitors and they don't really care about the sign up for him because he's already... You know, convince them that they need to to uh, to download the book. So that would be, uh, you know, a validity threat because the, the motivation of the potential clients is so high. Um, so yeah, definitely, you, you need to be aware of that. But um, but again, it depends on what you're testing. If you're testing clicks from one page to another or a newsletter sign-up forms, well, then I, you know, it's it's going to be. It's, of course, it's important that you know whether what you're testing actually works. But I'd say as compared to, uh, you know, uh, critical steps in the, uh, in the last uh, uh, part of the checkout flow, for example, that would be critical, critical, critical that you get that right. So I would run that test for a very long time and with a very large sample size in order to be 100% sure or as sure as possible that, you know, you can actually trust the data you're getting in. So uh, yeah, it really depends on the on the case, but of course, it's always important to be aware of uh, fluctuations. How do you get aware of the fluctuations? Do you just tell them beforehand, like you know, if there are fluctuations, or do you wait for the problem to come up and you let the client know? If if I if I, if I do know beforehand that there's going to be like a serious uh, little threat of some sort, then of course I'll be I'll be aware of that. But I mean, usually you don't know before you let the uh, the, you know, get the test started. So you have an idea of how much traffic you have and you have an idea of what to expect, but then you get the test started then you can kind of see the development from there. And I mean, what you're always looking for is just a nice clean development in the test. I mean, the more spikes you get, the more diamond shapes where the two versions kind of cross over or, or tanks, I mean, uh, the more fluctuations would be a better word. Uh, the more you have to be aware that there are, there's something going on out there that's affecting uh, uh, conversions and then you'll have to delve into to whatever that could be but if you have a nice clean development from from beginning to start where you can see that one variation is is doing better than the other one all the way through that's a nice sign that you have a clear test where you don't have too many uh, th threats coming in so before i get too many complaints about uh this podcast uh, I know what the diamond shape means, but maybe you could explain for everyone else what the diamond shape means. Oh yeah, well, well if, if you have a if you have a graph, and 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 uh, and the two different variants that you see on the graph, if they start crossing over, and crossing over again, then that's actually going to paint, kind of what looks like a diamond, because that that will be the two versions, one one taking the lead over the other, and then the other one going back again. And the more diamond shapes you have, I mean, kind of the, the, the less uh, I would be inclined to trust the data because then you have large fluctuations and that would be an indication that you don't really have a clear uh, tendency. You don't have one version, you know, doing better generally than the other one the whole way through. On the other hand, if, if you have a nice clear uh, graph where, where one is just pr pretty much permanently outperforming the other one the whole way through, well, that's a very good sign that you can, that you can trust your data. But I, th I think that the main thing about validity is, is, is that I th one of the main problems when, when a lot of people, when, when people start testing, when, when they start using test uh, tools, is that they trust their tool blindly and that they only focus on uh, statistical significance. They're only looking at how, how much chance there is that one variant is going, to, is going to beat the other. So a lot of people, they might stop the test the first time it hits 90% 
95% statistical uh, validity without paying attention to how large the sample size is, for example, how many conversions have been through, uh, what has the development been in the test. I mean, look at the, gra at the graph uh, and, you know, uh, consider uh, factors like uh, standard error. There's a lot of different things that go into determining the validity of a test. And you need to look at several different factors and not just the, uh, the, uh, the confidence uh, level. Depends on what you're testing and, and how, how much uh, of a sample uh, you have. But because, I mean, as, as, as you know from experience, I'm sure uh, during the first couple of days, for example, depending on how much traffic you have, but if you have a small sample size, it takes a lot less to get fluctuations because the sample size is so small. So maybe one conversion or two conversions on one variant is enough to actually make the test flip over totally. So, so I mean, within the first uh, couple of hundred visits, you're probably going to see a lot of fluctuations. But after that, you know, you should hope that <laughs> the test is going to kind of have a clear, clear development all the way through. But I mean, it's natural in the, ver in the initial phases of the test that you'll see larger fluctuations. But I, this is all, as, as you also know, but just to the listeners out there, it's, it's a lot about experience also, you know, getting a lot of testing done and getting it under your belt and kind of getting a feeling for uh, how a test should develop, you know, in order for it to be valid and in order for it to be trustworthy. So what are the, some of the problem, conversion problems you see on the websites you've done optimizations for? Well, I, I generally what I see is, is, is there's a lot of uh, kind of lack of, of clarity and relevance and that, that can have to do with, 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 I mean, a lot of different aspects, for example, the design and so on, but, but often it has to do with, with, with copywriting. And I see a tendency that, that, that either people go for the kind of very usability uh, kind of angle on it where you go, uh, click here, buy now. Uh, it, I mean, you might as well just say, this is a button, this is a sign-up form use it. Uh, and the other uh, end of the spectrum is, is, you know, people going like, becoming overly creative, you know, with, with, with creative messaging that's, that's super sexy, but it's really, really hard to understand. So what I'm finding, what I find from, from having performed, yeah, several hundred tests on, 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 on copy is that the more value you can convey by your copy, the more relevant it is to the target audience, the more conversions you're going to get. Um, and I mean, I do a lot of tests where I, where I go, where, for example, where I test against an agency, an advertising agency version, for example, that's often going to be super creative and really, really sexy. But the problem is that it, it usually doesn't really entail a specific benefit. So I find that super boring copy can outperform super creative and sexy copy by several hundred percent, as long as it actually is clear and conveys a specific value, say 50%, uh, whatever. Um, so I, I, I think that's a, that's a very big problem, actually. People getting clear about what they're offering and what, the, what, what value, what specific value it will represent to their potential customers. I think that's the most important thing. That also crosses over to design. I mean, for example, um, uh, I see a lot of websites using a lot of imagery because they've learned that, that using images is important, but then they just you know, buy stock photos that have maybe a completely different meaning or that really don't have much to do with, with, with the product at hand. I mean, I saw recently, I saw a landing page that was selling, uh, uh, I think it was like a financial audit, and there's a picture of a girl with a snowboard. And you're like, well, Often it's good to have people uh, on your web pages, but I don't see the connection between a girl with a snowboard and the product here. So, <laughs> you know, a way to make the offer more relevant would be to use a different image. <clears throat> and uh, oh, sorry, so so that that's that's the main problem I see, and I think the the second one has to do, uh, uh, yeah, with you. you information architecture and uh, usability. I mean, the way you present the information, uh, because in a, in a lot of cases, it's, it's really not very logic. You know, going from, from A to B to C to D on the website can be really, really challenging and difficult sometimes. So that, that's one of the problems also I see. Um, and I, I, th I think it, it all pretty much comes down to the fact that I think a lot of marketers, I wouldn't use the word lazy, but it seems like 
like a lot of marketers are kind of expecting that the target audience or the potential users are just dying to do whatever it is they want them to do. It's almost that like they're assuming that, that people are just, you know, they, hardly, they can hardly sleep at night because the only thing they want to do, up, do is get up and click banners or, or buy stuff or sign up for newsletters. Uh, <laughs> because it kind of seems that way because, uh, you know, it just seems like, oh, we'll just put it on the website and people will do whatever we want them to do. We don't even have to explain why they have to do it or make it easy for them to find. And, I mean... I try to go the other way and I try to assume that nobody, nobody in the world wants to do what I tell them to do. So I really have to make it as clear and simple and obvious as possible. This is the reason why you will benefit from doing whatever it is. Here is the next step and from there this is the next step. <laughs> kind of an oversimplification, but uh, I hope it drives the point home. Did you say you tested against a creative agency? Um, yeah, I mean, a couple of my clients, they have advertising agencies, um, you know, doing their, their kind of overall identity and stuff. And I've, for several different clients, I've, I've just performed, for example, landing page tests where I've, uh, you know, tested, for example, my headline against theirs um, or different banners or different overall variants of, of landing pages. And, and generally what I see is that uh, online anyway, I don't have much experience with offline advertising, so perhaps, I mean, perhaps their creative messages work really, really well offline, but, you know, I, I have a lot of experience optimizing <laughs> websites and making them sell, and all my experience and all my tests tell me that, you know, the direct, clear message will beat the creative uh, message or the blatant order nine times out of ten. And I don't want to generalize because, I mean, creative messaging can be really, really good, but it just, it shouldn't be the default. You should make, you should go for a creative message if that's what your hypothesis tells you, if that's what data and experience tells you will be the right thing in this particular case. But I just, I, I see a tendency that, that people forget everything kind of about how you would normally approach a selling situation or talk to a human being when they have to write marketing copy and all of a sudden it becomes this crazy stuff that you would never hear in the real world. You know, I mean, if a person walks into a, okay, let me give you an example. The other day, I, I, this is not something I've been involved with, but, but I just saw an ad the other day. This is translated from Danish, but it says, tomato or broccoli, we love beef. And um, that, that, that's, that's an ad for a steakhouse. And I'm like, I have no idea what that means. I mean, would you ever say that if a person came into your steakhouse to buy a steak? Instead of saying hello, you go, hey, broccoli or tomato, we love beef. I mean, those people would just look at you like you're an idiot, you know? <laughs> well, it's, it's a lot of what I call marketing by hypnosis. Basically, you try to hypnotize the visitor into oh, the prospect into buying your stuff. Yeah, but I, th I th and, and you know that that, that probably has its, its justification here. And there, I, I've just never seen it work uh, online, and I, th I, th I mean, I would question whether it, it it ever really works because I mean, it might. It's it's kind of this madman approach to marketing, where it's like, oh, this is voodoo, and people don't know what they want. We know what they want, and you don't know how to do marketing because we have the creative superpowers to make people listen. And I think that probably in the '60s, when 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 you know there, there, there wasn't that much advertising going on, just the fact that you had an advertisement was enough to, to boost your brand. But today, I mean, especially online, I mean, there's an abundance, there's a ridiculous amount of different offers all the time. And I mean, very, very few uh, products out there or, or companies don't have competitors. And, uh, and you know, I mean, you probably know it from, from your own uh, uh, behavior uh, on the internet when you're looking for a solution to your problem, you know? I mean, I, I bet you that you do a lot of research and then choose the one that seems the most relevant, that has the most credible solution to your problems and not the one that has the loudest or most creative messaging. Yeah, I find it quite fascinating as well. But I realized that there, there are, well, in my experience, there are like two sides. So like they're, they're the creative agency people and they're like, the fancy slogans, the fancy graphics, and on the other side where most of the optimizers are working in because we know it works, is, is we subscribe to a more direct marketing approach. So I've actually spoken to some creative agency people. I mean, this is a generalization. They are not all like that. A lot of them are very, very talented people. Oh, yeah, 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 of course. No, no, no. I've never and, said that. And, but 
but like there are some people who say who have this opinion that you know direct marketing is dead you're not gonna sell anything and and i'm like well but that's not what my tests say you know every day in day in day out i i create more sales and revenue for my clients and yeah but i th- I, th- I think sometimes it depends on what 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 you what you uh, how you're interpreting the definition direct marketing because i think a lot of people think of direct marketing as these long 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 sales letters that you that you send physically uh, by mail uh, and I mean, <laughs> that is the classical form of direct marketing, but direct marketing is, is a lot of different things also, I think, nowadays. And I think that, of course, online marketing uh, has a lot to do with direct marketing, but I, th- I think that there's a lot of different uh, f- ways of doing it. There's a lot of different forms. Um, but I agree that the, the, the direct approach is very interesting. But also, I think that a lot of people take it to the extreme, then, and instead of instead of respecting the decision-making process that people have to go through in order to make the decision, for example, to buy, they, they you know, jump that process completely and go straight to the buy now <laughs> kind of solution. And if, 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 if that's kind of the take on direct marketing, then I agree that di- direct marketing doesn't <laughs> work. I think they just don't see the effort that, that took the, the process that took the user from all the way from the start of the funnel to the buy now button. Yeah, exactly. And I, I, again, I'd say it, it depends 100% on what you're offering. I mean, it's if, if you're trying to sell someone uh, a jet plane online, well, you're probably not going to sell that jet plane just by having a one, one page landing page with, uh, you know, 200 words and uh, a call to action above the fold. You know, you're probably going to have to uh, have a pretty... Uh, <laughs> pretty extensive content marketing strategy in order to make that sale. But I mean, if you're selling uh, an ingenious iPhone app that costs $1, well, then the right approach would probably be more of the buy now with 200 words on the page and a, and a call action above the fold. So I, I think it's, you know, it's really, really important to, to, to have a clear idea of, of what you're selling and who you want uh, to, to buy it. Uh, and then find out, you know, what what are the mechanics that work in, in especially or in this particular situation. Uh, I, I think that's one of the main problems because I see a lot of, for example, uh, you, know, you have, for example, you have a lot of copywriters that would that would either say you should always write long form or you should always write uh, write uh, short form or you should always use emotions or you should never use a, uh, emotion or so you should should cut out, <laughs> you know, you should have cut out all uh, adjectives, never use adjectives. I'm saying, well, well, you can't generalize that way. I mean, you know, you need to find out what works in every, uh, in every particular case, and that varies a lot. And in some cases, the creative messaging might be exactly the right thing to do. And in some cases, you know, the direct uh, approach is better. You know, the, the more I talk to, well, the more I do my own tests and the more, I talk to other people who do optimization as well, and the the golden or the right answer seems to be it depends. Like that's the answer to everything. Yeah, exactly. And it's so true. <laughs> yeah, test it, test it. <laughs> it depends. So, uh, but I think you can. I mean, I, I, as I mentioned before, I don't like working with rules because then you have a tendency to take the specific case and try to uh, impose rules on that case, and then usually that backfires. But you can use principles. You could, for example, have a principle that uh, if you reduce friction, you will increase conversions. And then you can, within that area called friction, there can be a lot of different things that cause that friction. And then you'll always be able to identify those by using that principle. But you can't have a rule that always says uh, credibility, we must turn up the cr- or crank up the credibility because in, in, in some cases you might have a huge credibility level just because of your brand, because it's very well known. Uh, you could also have a principle that says, um, uh, uh, you know, the, 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 the clearer your value proposition is, the clearer you can convey uh, your value through your copy, uh, the more conversions you will get. You can always use that principle, but you can't always use a principle that says, a clear headline is only 65 characters long. Because, I mean, it might take you three times that <laughs> amount to actually, uh, you know, <laughs> convey value through your headline. Well, the rule I'd like to use for the headline is it should be as short as possible, but just enough to convey your message. Yeah, yeah definitely, definitely. 
But I think again that, uh, uh, but everything copy related, I mean, there, I think there's kind of a, a tendency for this kind of text uh, copy anorexia. <laughs> and I, th I think it's, it's a tendency because there's this whole thing about people don't read online, they scan, which is, which is an, an observation that holds water. I mean, I, I don't read everything online, but it, again, it depends on what it is and how it's presented to me. Because I do a lot of reading online, and, but it depends on the commitment level I have to put in there. If I have to spend $20,000 on something, you bet I'm going to read the copy, you know? And the fine print. And the, and the fine print, exactly. So, so I think, I mean, your copy, in all cases, it, it's better to have copy that's a little bit longer but conveys a value than copy that's too short to convey a value because then there's no purpose in it anyway. So it's all about finding, it's all about finding the right balance. And there are also ways that you can you can build up websites and, and landing pages in such a fashion that you that you for example that you summarize pretty much everything above the fold in the first seven inches of the screen. So you have a a, a, a headline that conveys a clear value. You have a subheader that picks up and and uh, kind of uh, validates whatever it is you're saying in the um, in the headline. Then you have some bullet points, a clear image, and a little bit of extra information, and then maybe a call to action. Then you have everything summarized up there for people who are ready to make a quick decision. And then you can, below that, you can have a lot more information for, for the types who need uh, to read a lot more in order to kind of feel secure that they're making the right situation. So you can, you can build up, you know, landing pages and websites so that you kind of uh, consider different types of users also. What you just mentioned is I just have one version of web, a web page where we cater to all kinds of users, maybe very highly motivated users who are perhaps repeat visitors to the website. They, this is their third time visiting and you know, they, they've already compared products and all the competitors uh, compared to a first time visitor who knows nothing about the product. Um, do you do any kind of behavioral targeting for your clients? Yeah, but I, I, I think probably the, the main thing is that it, what I'm probably focused more on is, is that, that the channels the just channel segmentation, actually, that you try to make sure that re re uh, repeat visitors aren't going to go through your, your AdWords ads, for example, and, and land on landing pages that are, that are actually designed for first-time visitors. You want your repeat visitors, you want to get them on your uh, newsletter, you want to get them into your loyalty program so you can segment it on channels. Uh, so I think I think I spend more time on that actually, making sure that you have kind of an individual landing page for each campaign and for each visitor type that's going to come through the go through the campaigns. So, uh, so I, I I usually kind of take it one step back and focus on that. But if you can't segment of channels, then I'll try to uh, you know have different versions for different types of users, and it depends on what you, the software you're using. But I mean, with cookies and everything else, it's you know. It's not that difficult to have different versions shown to different visitor types. What are some of the tools you're using to help with this conversion optimization process? Uh, well, I mean, like, like, I, like I mentioned earlier, I think that uh, well, testing is essential. I mean, I can't, I can't see you doing conversion rate optimization without testing. Uh, because the, the whole optimization part comes in, <laughs> because you can actually <laughs> you can actually confirm that what you're doing is an optimization. So a uh, split testing tool is, is essential. Uh, I use Visual Website Optimizer. Uh, it's probably my favorite tool for a bunch of different reasons. Uh, it's 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 very very easy to use, especially for for smaller tests. And uh, it has a lot of advanced functions also. Well, what I'm trying to say is that you can use it at any level you're at because it doesn't involve very much coding. Uh, it's reasonably priced and uh, they have great support. So it's very easy to get in contact with the, with the guys on the back end. Uh, another tool I like to use is, is uh, something called Unbounce, which makes it possible to uh, create and test landing pages without involving IT, which is a dream for most marketers and optimizers. So Unbounce is really, really cool, especially for um, campaign landing pages. Um, awesome tool, you should check it out. It makes it very, very easy to kind of just build landing pages by dragging and dropping elements without having to, uh, to tweak the, the, the code. So it's a great tool that makes everything a lot easier. Um, a third tool, I think it's interesting to conduct uh, to conduct simple surveys 
in order to get a better impression of of what the what the users uh, you know what their needs are and um, uh, what, what what kind of information they're lacking or which specific product features they they they, they particularly like. But my experience with surveys is you have to be very careful because uh, surveys are a hassle. Nobody really wants to do them, uh, and the more questions you ask, the less. Uh, credible the answers are going to be because people they don't feel like answering a lot of questions so I like to use uh, it was Kiss, Kiss Insights before and they, they changed the name to something I can't pro pronounce Corangaloo uh, cor cor I can't remember Corangal uh, or something yeah exactly so uh, yeah there, there's, uh, there's a I'll, I'll put the, clarity I'll put the there, link somewhere but uh, I, I love using that because it's a very, very simple little survey tool. And it's actually just a, you can design it any way, which way you want. But I like to have it as a little pop-up at the bottom of the page. You can use it on your website. Generally, you can use it on, uh, on landing pages. And I like to uh, just have one question and then two answers, two answer options. So what I usually do is I try to find out, for example, if there are three different aspects uh, of a product. And in my mind, they seem that they could be equally weighted. Then I might ask... So uh, which of these features uh, do you prefer? And just to get a clear idea of it. Or maybe test different versions, for example, inspiration for a headline. So I'd say, uh, uh, what's most important you, to you? Um, just randomly, for example, it might be to save money or it might be to, uh, I don't know, uh, feel more secure or whatever. And that, that way you can kind of nail down what's important to users by, by creating super, super simple little surveys and, and, uh, and collecting data. Um, the cool thing about this little tool also is that you have kind of a little thank you part uh, in the form after you send it and you can link to whatever you want. So you could, for example, link to, uh, to uh, five more questions. So you can say thank you for, for providing these answers. Would you be interested in answering five more questions? So that's a lot. It's not very intrusive. It's a very polite way of, of, of you know, gathering information. Do you use any like user testing tools? Yeah, I do. I, I've used. Um, I have a lot of Danish clients, so I've, I've used uh, what's called Brugertest nu in Danish. Their their, their international version is uh, usertribe.com. I've used that that quite a few times. Uh, it's pretty cool. I mean, that's I use it strictly for well, kind of. It's kind of in the name. User test is for quantitative, or sorry, quali qualitative, uh, not quantitative uh, testing. But it's it's quite interesting. Just with with five users, you can you can. You know, there's usually a, a lot of small things that kind of emerge where you're like, wow, I really didn't think about that. Just, just you know, small points of friction or things that don't seem logic or, uh, uh, or just anything that kind of slows down the process. So you can get a lot of valuable insights. And the cool thing about User Tribe is that you, you just order the, the, uh, the user test online. It's reasonably cheap. And, uh, and then afterwards, you know, you get a full report, you get videos and everything, and you can kind of, it almost feels like you're looking over the shoulder of your potential customers. You get a lot of insights that way. Also, I mean, other tools, I mean, a lot, uh, heat maps are, 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 are super valuable. I mean, they have, there's also a built-in function in Visual Website Optimizer for heat maps. Uh, heat maps are click maps. They can really give you a lot of uh, uh, important information that you wouldn't be able to kind of get otherwise. Um, and of course, I mean, basic stuff like analytics, of course, is very important. And Excel spreadsheets. <laughs> <laughs> the, the user testing tool you mentioned is called User Tribe, is that right? Is that only for the, the Danish audience? No, that, 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 that's, their, that's their international uh, website, usertribe.com. Uh, T-R-I-B-E, is that right? Yeah. You, okay, that's interesting. I got to check it out. Yeah, yeah, do it. I mean, it's... it's I mean, traditionally, your user test can cost a lot and a lot of money because you kind of traditionally invite people to your office and you give them cake and coffee and stuff and you have them, you know, uh, go through your website and whatever. And it takes a lot of time also. It's a large investment, both money and time-wise. And, I mean, a tool like UserTribe is, is, is pretty cheap and, uh, you know, it takes very little time because they pretty much handle everything for you. I think that's a... On tools, there's great explosion within the last six months to a year of all the all the tools that can really help with optimizing websites. 
I use Optimizely for most of my campaigns, uh, my optimization campaigns, and I've seen the, the tool grown from like a really simple tool to now it can really run like full funnel campaigns without really hacking the code all that much. And it's, it's really, really, it really decreases the time that you take to implement a test. And that's really good for, good for everyone, basically. Optimizely and uh, and Visual Website Optimizer are, I mean, they're kind of built on the same principles. And I, I say, yeah, that's very important. That's one of the main reasons why I'd rather use those tools than, for example, uh, Google Experiments, because uh, uh, the other stuff just, I mean, it's just, you need it pretty much, need either to have the developer skills yourself or you need to hire a developer to set everything up. And that makes it immensely more expensive and it takes a lot more time uh, to set up tests. I think beside that, uh, I don't think Google provides support for the... I think it's called Google Experiments right now. I have no idea what it's called. They keep, they keep renaming the thing. But um, like I use Optimizely so I can, I can share a bit more about that. Like When I run a test, sometimes it's a very complex test because I do a lot of stuff on e-commerce sites. And you know, I, I basically email as well support team and ask a really really specific question how do i get this implemented and um they can answer uh i think it's might be similar what can you say about visual website optimizer because i don't use that tool well uh, i mean just really nice guys and, and support support is really quick i mean they're in india so if, if i mean if you write them while they're sleeping it's going to take a few hours but but usually uh you know you can get your answer really really quickly and they're just they're i mean they are, they, they're always, you know, they're super polite and, and they can really help you uh, with the right insights. And, you know, I'm, I'm not, I don't have a lot of insight into code. So, I mean, I think sometimes I ask them stupid questions, but uh, I never get the feeling that, uh, they, they, they never answer me in such a way that I can, that I get the feeling that they think I'm being a pain. <laughs> so that's nice. Maybe it's, maybe it's because you're famous. <laughs> you know? Uh, not that famous, and I've, I definitely wasn't famous a year ago, and they were still nice to me, so that was pretty cool. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it, it's really incredible, the tools that have been coming out. I've looked at iQuant recently, and I found it really, really quite useful. Okay, what is that? iQuant, E-Y-E-Q-U-A-N-T. So, there are, there are like some, let me type it out. So there are some neuroscience concepts which are used in optimization. The, the thing is like you see what kind of elements grab the attention of the visitor. And this tool has somehow made that into an algorithm and is able to... Basically, it's a heat map, but you don't have to run the heat map test. And you know it just uses the algorithm to, to determine like which parts of the page will call out to the user more strongly. And I did uh, their trial uh, on a website and I found it like, this could be really useful. So stuff like that, which wasn't available before. So is the algorithm, is that based, is that before you launch it, that it kind of kind of tries to calculate what will be viewed most or interacted with most, or is it is it uh, based on data? So you, you launch the page and it's not. It's not based on data. It's based okay. on basically they have a couple of neuroscientists and they made their knowledge into an algorithm, into a model, and and into an algorithm, and they use that to analyze your web page. Okay. And it's shockingly well useful. Well, interesting. <laughs> For I'll lack of a better out. word, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I have to check that out. I mean, my only concern there would be that it's based on kind of uh, best practice and assumptions, and not not data from the specific. Uh, an uh, individual case study uh, that, or project that you're working on, but it, it sounds like an interesting way of, of kind of kind of like a user test. I mean, you know, getting some basic uh, ideas down and uh, hypotheses. I have no idea how it works. I've yet to talk to them, and I, <laughs> I should do that because I, I ran a test test on a page that I already optimized for a client, and like, well, the tool basically shows that certain elements that I wanted to show. To, to draw attention to the the tools show that you know that this is this is what a normal human should be drawn to based on mm. their model so I mean stuff like that I, I just find like this is cool you know stuff like this like a year ago maybe two years ago wasn't available yeah 
So, well, the future is really bright for this optimization thing. Yeah, 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 definitely, definitely. Ah, and it's, and I mean, it's, it's, it seems like the only, like an ob- obvious uh, development because I mean, when I when I first started getting into the online thing, I mean, even though it wasn't that long ago, and in, in this was in Denmark, of course. I mean, we were at the point where we were just trying to teach businesses that there's actually money to be made online. Uh, and then the next step was kind of that that you know businesses found out that wow this traffic thing is incredible we need SEO traffic 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 PPC traffic traffic and then you know now people come to realization saying hmm well maybe it makes sense that we can actually convert this traffic into paying customers so <laughs> it seems like a logical next step to work on. I think it's also because uh, traffic is so expensive these days. Like, yeah. you know, in the days of five cent AdWords clicks, yeah. it doesn't really matter yeah. whether your coffee converts like at 0.05%. It's okay, it's cheap. That's, that's but a very, very good point. Each click costs like 50 cents, a dollar. Some clicks cost even like $10 or $15 per click. Yeah, so, you know, every cent counts right now. Yeah, exactly. You want those clicks to convert. Yeah, definitely. But what is your top actionable tip that... No, every uh, our listeners can take away for improving conversions on a website. Probably, I, th- I think I think the most uh, important one, and this might not be quite as as, as hands on as you want it to be. This is kind of this is more like in, in the right approach, but I think it's so important. I, w- I was I was touching on it earlier, but I think the main thing is that you focus on the decision that you're trying to optimize, because like I, I was touching on before. Uh, Conversion rate optimization is not really about optimizing web pages. It's about optimizing decisions and actions. So instead of sitting, we have a tendency to sit down and look at a page and say, how can I make this a better page? Or how can I make this copy sound better? But the, the point is never to have to make the, the page look better or have the copy sound better. The point is to get more people to make the right decision. So you need to focus on the decision and then you t- need to focus on how you can improve the, the uh, or how you can make the, the, the web page help you optimize those decisions and actions. How can I make the copy, how can I write the copy in such a way that I get as many people as possible to do what I want them to do. So if you're, for example, sitting down and you are gonna write copy for uh, a sign-up form, then you need to focus on how do I get as many signups as possible and not how do I make this copy sound as good as possible. I think that's probably the number one piece of advice I would, I would try to uh, <laughs> instill <laughs> upon a young, frail, open mind. So if people want to get in touch with you, will you be at any conferences or anything like that? Yeah, I'll, I'll be speaking at uh, a couple of different summits in Denmark and uh, I'm going to uh, one in Estonia and uh, another one in Latvia, I think. But uh, I'll also I'll be speaking at the uh, marketing Sherpa Marketing Experiments uh, Optimization Summit in Boston in, uh, in May, on the 21st of May. And uh, I mean, I've been, I've, I've spoken at several marketing Sherpa events and I've attended a lot of them um, uh, just as a as a normal attendee and I recommend it to anyone who wants to get into optimization it's uh, really really a learning experience some valuable couple of days it's a great networking and they have you know one-to-one clinics where you can get in and you can you can have you know some of their uh, analysts uh, help you out with, with with your whatever problems you're having in relation to conversion rate optimization there's tons of, of, um, of sessions uh, I'm going to be talking about uh, how to optimize um, a copy for conversions and uh, there's roundtable sessions and there's, you know, uh, live optimization. So, yeah, really, really great events. And I'd recommend it to anyone who wants to learn more about uh, conversion optimization. So where can people find out more about you or get in touch with you? I'd invite people to check out my, my blog, contentverve.com. That's kind of the main, main spot. Uh, I have, yeah, tons of case studies and articles and videos and podcasts going on there. And I, I, I update it regularly. Uh, I am. I've been very busy lately, so I haven't been been updating it quite as much as as, as I as I would like to. But uh, I also my style is to write, kind of not as frequently, but then have like very very uh, deep delving um, articles where maybe three thousand words where I really go 
deep, deep into one particular uh, issue and uh, just show a lot of case studies in order to make as tangible as possible. Uh, you could also check out, I mean, I regularly write for different blogs, for example, unbounce.com. I, I, I usually have a monthly blog post on, uh, on their blog and uh, uh, sometimes I write for Kissmetrics and, and uh, different other channels. So thank you once again for joining our podcast and we'll talk again soon. Well, thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to the Conversions Podcast. Please leave us a review and rating on iTunes if you enjoy our podcast. We love hearing from you. Connect with us at our website, conversionspodcast.com, and let us know what you think. 